Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our worship service this morning. My name is Ryan Mallon. I'm the senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement. And once again, we're gathering uh, virtually this morning as we still are in this crazy season uh, dealing with the COVID-19 uh, crisis. We hope you are doing well, and we want to thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, we do want to also welcome, if there's anyone who's watching us for the first time, we'd like to welcome you to our virtual uh, gathering for worship. Um, we uh, would love to know uh, if this is your first time, if you wouldn't mind, if you're on Facebook, just shoot us a comment saying, first time here, and let the folks who are uh, watching on Facebook greet you and welcome you to our fellowship. Also, uh, if you're watching through our church website, feel free to uh, give us an email. Drop us an email at info at atonementlife.org. Let us know that you are uh, watching or tuned in for the first time. We'd love to have a way to say welcome and uh, to look forward to inviting you whenever we can gather in place once again. Also, we want to let you know that if you're not yet part of our email list, if you've been tuning in for a while or even for your first time and you haven't received uh, information about the order of worship uh, or you haven't been receiving our Atonement Life, which is our newsletter with uh, updates about ministries and, and prayer concerns, things that we can be uh, lifting up in prayer together as a body, We'd like to uh, encourage you to go ahead and let us know that you'd like to receive those emails. Again, you can reach us at info at atonementlife.org, and that'd be the best way uh, for us to know that you want to be on that list. Um, so with that and this uh, time of welcome, what I'd like to do is just before we get started with our music and the elements of our service, I'd like to open us with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Would you pray? Our gracious God, who loves us to call him Father, we ask that you would bless our time this morning. You know how much we are in need of strengthening, how so easily our faith can be shaken or rattled by the things that we are facing. And so, Lord, we need to be nourished. We need to be fed. And Father, we also need to express what is in our hearts, our love for you. And so we ask that you would enable us to do that this morning. Help us to sing with all of our hearts. Help us to praise your name and celebrate what you've done in our lives. Father, feed us through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This time, Pastor Terrence is going to lead us in our call to worship. Good morning, good morning. Hear the call to worship, to exalt, to lift high the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's sing together. Worship Christ, the risen King. Church and lift 
your voices, Christ has conquered death and hell. Sing as all the earth rejoices, resurrection anthems swell. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the risen King. See my tomb where death hath laid him, empty now its mouth declares. Death and I could not contain him, for the throne of life he shares. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the conquered Christ the Lord the risen King we are claiming your life O Jesus now we sing your victory sin or hell may seek to seize us but your conquest keeps us free stand in triumph
take a moment now as we come to a time of confession. Quiet your hearts before the Lord and confess between you and the Lord your shortcomings and I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, your instruction for how to live a life of faith in Christ is clear. Father, rather than following your instructions, we followed our own. This week, we've turned. We went after our own way. Father, we have catered to selfish hearts, our hearts. Father, we have broken your law of light with our love of darkness. Father, today we confess. Today, Father, we ask forgiveness. Today we stand in need of the Savior. Forgive us, your people called by your name. Forgive us for our complaining, our grumbling this week are being dissatisfied with you. Forgive us, Lord, for, for not trusting you at all times. God, we ask, we plead, we beg your mercy. Cleanse us anew today. Wash us in your precious grace. Lord Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. God promises that through Christ our sins are purged, they are forgiven, we are cleansed. Hear that promise this morning from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This God set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Amen and amen. Let's listen now. Whatever my God, let's sing together, whatever my God ordains is right. Whatever my God ordains is right, his holy will abide. I will be still, whatever and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall, and 
come to the time in our service, which uh, would typically be for our children's message. And the past couple weeks, I've tried to keep doing the children's message um, as we would have done it virtually, though. Uh, and I have to admit that it just doesn't really feel the same. I really miss the opportunity to see all of the kids of our church, all of you come forward and to come sit up here uh, on the platform with me and to be able to look in your eyes and tell you um, what God has uh, put on my heart to share with you, to encourage you. It's an opportunity to see your faces um, before I pray for you. And so I really miss that time. And I'm sure some of you miss coming to church too. You've really been on my mind this week. And um, 
I know when we come back together, some of you aren't going to look like the last time I saw you. Some of you are going to have grown so much. You're going to be inches taller. You're going to have uh, maybe a new hairstyle because there's no place to get your hair cut but home. Um, and even though we get to have this time where we're talking to each other, or at least I'm talking to you virtually, it's just not the same. And it had me thinking that you're probably missing a lot of things too. You know, I've already mentioned church, but you know, you probably never thought that you'd be missing school, right? That's one of those things that when I was your age, I never thought there'd be a day I'd miss school. But if I were you, I'd be missing it right now. I'd be missing all the activities that you can do. Some of the sports, you know, as the weather has now turned warm to think about baseball and soccer and all those things that we would love to do, track and field, to think about how um, we can't be playing with our friends right now. I'm sure some of you are really missing your friends. You, know, you probably talk to them on the phone or maybe through FaceTime, on the computer, something like that, but just not being able to play with them and have time with them. And maybe that's the way you're feeling about your families. You're able to talk with them on the phone, but you just don't have time to be with them, to share a meal together, and to give them hugs and get hugs from them. And some of you even have missed birthday parties, these times where we would have big celebrations to celebrate that you've gotten older. You've turned one year older and you're growing and you're learning things and you're becoming the person that God is making you to be. And I think it's really hard when we don't have those things. And I think probably a lot of you are feeling that. You know how hard it is and you miss those things a lot. So there's not really a, a sermon necessarily or a message that I wanna give to you other than I want you to know that this week I'm praying for you. That I understand that this is a hard thing. And it's easy for us adults sometimes to get our heads stuck in our own world, think about how hard this is for us. And sometimes we forget how hard it is for you. And so I'd like to pray for all the kids of our church this week. So if you are a child, uh, even if you're a youth, if you're living with your parents, so maybe you're even 40 at this point. Uh, if you're living with your parents, I just want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Um, praying that God would just make himself known to you. And I'd like to begin by praying for you just now. Father, you know the things that we miss and you know how uh, frustrated we are by this season. And you know how hard it is when we can't have the connection and the community that we're used to. So, Lord, I pray right now that for each of the, the children that are tuning in and listening to this worship service, I pray that, I pray that you would uh, just bless them. I pray that you would make their, make their hearts be filled with your joy. I pray that they would understand just how much you love them. And I feel, Father, just a, a heavy heart for all that they're missing out on. And Lord, we just trust that uh, in this time you would remind them that it is a time of keeping them safe. And it's a time of, while we miss things, looking forward to being together again. And so I pray that you'd fill them with a hope, looking forward to those days. Help us as parents and pastors and people of the church to just encourage and think about the little ones and be lifting them up in prayer this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Well, we are beginning a new sermon series, and um, I'm not sure if you can see everything on this graphic, but we'll uh, work on it and make it uh, public here soon. But uh, in big letters, hopefully you can see at home the word hope. And the line on the top says, in the midst, and the line on the bottom below it says, of hardship. So hope in the midst of hardship. And we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of First Peter. Uh, last week was Easter, and along with our governor, I gave an invitation to hope. Uh, Easter was a celebration of hope, and I talked about how, you know, the Lord Jesus in the road to Emmaus, meeting these two disciples, he rebuilds their reason for hope. He gives them a reason to hope again, rationally and personally, that uh, his resurrection symbolizes and communicates to us, even now, 2,000 years later, powerful reasons to hope again. And I read a passage um, from a letter written by the Apostle Peter. It actually comes from this section of Peter's letter that we're going to be studying over the next couple of weeks. Peter was writing this to groups of people that had never seen Jesus, but knew him and loved him. You might remember that I, I read this verse. It's verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I love this scripture because it's such a vibrant depiction of the faith that we have in Christ. That without seeing him face to face, their hope is alive and our hope is alive. Filling them with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now what we didn't see last week as I read that verse is that these joy-filled people are actually in the midst of hardship. That this inexpressible joy that fills them is something that they are experiencing in the midst of tremendous hardship. And the purpose or the reason that Peter is writing them this letter is to encourage them. He wants to commend them on how they should be living in this difficult time. He wants to strengthen them in the midst of the tough times that they are facing. And he does this by building a case for their hope. By speaking to them personally, reminding them of their reason to rejoice. And I think that's a, a theme that resonates with us today. How can we have our hope built even in times like these? How can we uh, be equipped to face the challenges and the hardships and to still have joy, both in this season and seasons to come? What truths should we be reminded of? So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the first several verses of this letter, um, and we're going to let Peter encourage us as he reminds these believers and us of the great hope that sustains us in the midst of hardship. So from the very start of his letter, Peter wants to remind them of important things. And so he begins by reminding them what we're going to look at today is who they are. He begins by reminding them who they are. So let's look at Peter's greeting just the first two verses, and let us unpack this message that was given to them and is preserved for us. This letter begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I think this, um, this letter that is written is so interesting because it begins with a greeting. And we might kind of read this greeting and we might kind of gloss over it and just think it's just a formal greeting as Peter is greeting the churches in this area. One thing I do want to mention is that these names, Pontius, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, these are churches in the region that is now known as modern-day Turkey. And as far as we know, we don't have a biblical record of Peter ever traveling up to that region. Uh, we know that Peter did travel. He did get around some uh, and uh, saw some of the churches, but we don't know how involved he was with these churches. But he is aware of their situation, and he does want to reach out to them. And so he greets them, and we can see that this greeting is loaded with a lot of theological words. At first glance, we might just think it's a formal greeting that um, is just, you know, he's just being very churchy as he's talking to people. But what we can see here is that from the very start of his letter, Peter is so concerned for these people that he seeks to build them up and do so by even in the way that he identifies them and greets them. And it's interesting, he uses two words that are a little bit peculiar. Um, they're not maybe words that we would expect to read in this section to a letter uh, of people who are in difficult times. And those words are that he refers to them as elect exiles. Elect exiles. And I want to take time and unpack what these two words mean because I think they will inform us a little bit about how he's trying to encourage them in who they are. The first word is elect. And it's a word that emphasizes that they have been chosen. And what we need to understand is that this is a loaded word. It might not really look like a theological word, but it is a theological word with roots in the Old Testament. Israel was always referred to as God's elect, God's chosen people. They were the people that God chose to dwell among. They were the people that God chose to display his glory to the nations. Israel was to be the nation that exhibited holiness, that basically made all the other nations look, and as they saw Israel, they said, God is real, and this is what he is like. And we can see this in uh, passages like Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8 where we hear words like this. This is Moses talking to the people on behalf of, of uh, God. And he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that, uh, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. No, redeemed or ransomed from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So long ago, these words in Deuteronomy would be read over and over again. They'd be taught on uh, or taught to uh, the children generations after that time, reminding Israel that they were chosen. They were an elected people. They were God's elect. They were to receive God's favor. 
And so in this greeting, Peter is reminding believers in these regions of Turkey, or modern-day Turkey now, uh, that they are included. Just as God chose Israel, so he has chosen them. Later in Peter's letter, he lays this out even more clearly and expresses it so beautifully in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, where he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's clear that in his greeting, as he's just approaching these folks who are living in this area, in this time of hardship, Peter wants them to know who they are. He wants them to know that they were chosen to display God's glory, chosen to declare God's praise, to be a light to the nations, and they have been pulled out of darkness. And Peter speaks to the perfection of their election, the perfection of this choosing by God by reminding them how they were chosen, how the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made it so. And so he says they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But what does it mean that they were foreknown? Well, it's always helpful to see if a biblical author like Peter uses this word elsewhere in his letter to get clues on what this means that God foreknew them. And Peter does this later in chapter 1 when he says that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who are through him believers in God. It's important for us to see this that God foreknew Christ um, but Christ was not made manifest until these last days. It's important for us to see what does knowing look like in Scripture. If you look up knowing and how that's used in Scripture, it always communicates an intimate relationship, a relationship that is special, that's close, it's, it's committed, a relationship that communicates favor. And so what Peter is, is trying to explain here to these folks by saying that they were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, Peter's communicating here that just as Christ was known by the Father, that they were precious, that there was an intimate relationship, that in the mind of God, in eternity, outside of time, he also knew them. Even before time began, they were precious to him, and his favor was set upon them. Now, Peter continues... Not only was God the Father uh, working to elect them, to choose them in his foreknowledge, but they've been chosen now in time through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That is, that the Spirit has set them apart. The Spirit has signified and evidenced that they have been chosen. The Spirit's presence in their lives, that God's favor and election is now visible and made real, is seen by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Peter continues, according to the foreknowledge of God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of his blood. I think it makes uh, perfect sense to understand that they have been chosen to follow Christ. 
They've been chosen for obedience to Christ. But the sprinkling of the blood, that one sounds a, a little bit more awkward, especially even grammatically. Chosen or elect for the sprinkling of blood. But again, it's another Old Testament idea. In Exodus 24, we have this scene where Israel is entering into a covenant to become God's people. The laws were laid out. The th works that God had done on their behalf were, um, were rehearsed. And so Israel was at a point where they were t told, will you obey all that the Lord has called you to do? Will you follow the Lord as your king? And they say, yes, we will. We've heard all the laws, all the statutes, and we will follow. And what proceeds next in that account is that Israel enters the covenant when Moses takes the blood of all of these sacrifices that the people bring, and he sprinkles it on the people and says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. It was the sprinkling of the blood that was a sealing of the covenant. It was signifying that they were ransomed from Egypt and now freed to become God's people. And so in this summary, as Peter uses all this theological language and he talks about the Father and the Son and the Spirit, he is reminding believers that they are who they are because the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit made it so. What the Father willed, the Son made possible, and the Spirit has applied. And so it's also important as we think about this idea of election, of what it means to be chosen, to consider the source who's preaching this good news and reminding these people of this thing. At this point, we need to remember who's writing this letter and who Peter is. That this is the same Peter who was a Galilean fisherman. And he can probably remember the day that he was mending his nets and Jesus approached him and told him, follow me. He can probably remember the day where he was chosen to be a disciple. This is the same Peter who, after he had denied knowing Jesus while Jesus was going to the cross for him, later in the resurrection time, he was rechosen, restored to ministry, and told once again by Jesus, follow me. This is the same Peter who saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the prophecies in Joel, that God was building his kingdom that he was making and calling people to himself. Peter saw how the Spirit began sanctifying people and setting them apart for this work. This is the same Peter who then a few chapters later in the book of Acts was called to witness the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles, the people that were not Jews, receiving a vision that showed him that even those who were not part of Israel through biological ways have been chosen to be part of God's people. And that is the Peter who is writing these words for these believers and for us. The same Peter who was threatened and imprisoned and faced all kinds of hardships as an apostle. I think we can think about who it is that's writing this and kind of marvel at the change that has taken place in his life. The same man who had denied any knowledge of Christ is now the man who cannot but speak the truth of Christ. What changed? Peter knows, better than anybody maybe, that he was chosen. 
he was elect. He knows that he has been called for this purpose. And he now speaks on behalf of the living Christ to remind others that they have been chosen, that they are elect. Peter knows for the hardships that these people are facing, they need this reminder. They need to know the favor that God has placed on them. How far Father, Son, and Holy Spirit went to make it so. But he also uses another word. He reminds them that they're elect, but he also uses this word, exiles. And exiles is another Old Testament word. It's a word for refugees or sojourners, a displaced people. It's the word that is attached to you or you identify with when you are not in your homeland. This is an Old Testament word, uh, has very strong roots in Israel's identity. Israel very much saw themselves as exiles, especially during the season when they were in Babylon. If you look through the Old Testament, there are many books and passages that record the sharp feelings of pain and loss and lament and longing when Israel was kicked out of the promised land and they were dwelling in the land of Babylon. And so in many ways, when Peter uses this term exiles with these people, it's a loaded term. Many of us are familiar with the Bible passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, uh, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We see that on coffee cups and we see it on Facebook memes and all sorts of places. It's a very uplifting, uh, uplifting verse. But the context of that verse is that that is a promise given to a people who are in exile. The verses preceding, the Lord is giving instructions to the people on how they should live in exile. Listen to verse uh, 4 of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What this does is it paints a picture of exiles being a place of waiting. It's a condition really of suffering, of longing to be in the place that is truly home, longing to be in the place where you truly belong. And for the time that you're in, you're in exile and you're enduring hardships. These were hardships that Israel had to face, that they were now a minority amongst the people that was surrounding them. Um, they were... a culturally different than all the people that were around them. And so they were enduring hardships that made Israel ready to return home. It was a season where God was trying to perfect and prepare his people to be holy once again when they entered and were led back to the promised land. And so what Peter's trying to say to these believers in uh, these regions is that the hardships that they feel and the hardships that they're facing are natural that they are in exile, that this is not their homeland, this is not where they belong. It is where they are. But they should understand that according to God's foreknowledge, according to the Holy Spirit, according to the work of Christ in their lives, this is where they are, and they're not in their home. 
Now, of course, this identity of exile makes sense for Israel because they were deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. But it seems strange maybe to us uh, and maybe to these believers as they receive this letter, considering that many of these folks probably are living exactly where they grew up. Or at least they're living where they were before they became believers. And so how is it that this place that has always been home is suddenly now not their home? Well, as they were chosen, they have been changed. The sanctifying work of the Spirit has begun. They've been called to live in a new and different way. And suddenly, home doesn't feel like home anymore. They've become outcasts in the eyes of society. And so Peter speaks to this later in his uh, letter to them. He tells them, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that Christ returns, on the day of visitation. Peter gets more specific about how these exiles should understand and process and respond to the rejection and the persecution even that they experience. And he does this in chapters 3 and 4. So why is Peter greeting them in this way? Well, by greeting them this way, Peter is acknowledging the feelings and hardship that they feel. He wants them to know that hardships uh, that they're experiencing are revealing the new reality. That they're not a reason to doubt, but a reason to have confidence that they are, in fact, God's elect. That this is not their home, and it's not where they belong. So after addressing them as elect exiles... Reminding them of who they are, he's trying to instill in them a sense that they're not truly home yet. That things are natural if they're feeling uncomfortable. He continues with his greeting by giving them one more phrase that promises an encouragement or at least hopes for encouragement for them. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied in you. Peter has reminded them who they are And so he's reminded them who they are, that they are elect, they're chosen, they're exiles. They're not at home yet. They're in a time of waiting to be in that better place, the place that truly feels like home. He's reminded them of their identity, of who they are, so that they would have a sense of God's grace. God's grace. They'd be reminded of the favor that is undeserved, but that they've received. Also, that they would have a sense of God's peace, the wholeness that comes from God's favor working in our lives. Peter's hope is that those things would be multiplied in them, that they'd be filled with the experience of blessing and rest, even in the midst of this hardship and exile. Peter knows that if they're going to experience those things, they need to remember and be reminded who they are. Well, just as this was an important reminder for them, it's a important, an important reminder for each of us. I used to say, oftentimes in passages that dealt with people who were experiencing persecution or rejection, I used to say that, you know, not many of us have ever experienced persecution or rejection, the social rejection or abuse that uh, the people have in passages like this, or maybe even the people uh, who are our brothers and sisters around the world, we, we have never experienced that thing. And I think generally that's probably true in some degree, but I um, am realizing as I continue in ministry, I learn 
of a growing number of instances of various hardships that have come upon people for following Jesus. Now, maybe not to the degree that these believers are, and, and like I said, maybe not to the degree that many of our brothers and sisters around the world experience, but I've heard enough people share about instances in their life when they face social or familial or emotional or economic hardship because of their faith. And so I don't want to make a blanket statement like that because I know some of you really resonate with this passage of home not really feeling like home anymore. At the same time, though, there's still many of us who find it hard to name a substantial personal hardship that we have experienced on account of our faith. And so that said, that doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with the same struggles and have the same questions when hardships hit. You know, there is a hardship that our entire country has been plunged into right now. In fact, our entire world. We've all been touched by it. Again, some of us in more degree than others. We feel the loss of freedom, that we can't escape the house like we used to and do the things that we used to do, that we've had to give up those activities and, and um, things that we've enjoyed. Some of us have really uh, been grieving the loss of community. Though we might stay connected virtually, the sadness that we feel of not being able to gather together with friends or family or church family. We've got the loss of income that some of us are feeling, that hardship, the worry about how we'll make ends meet or whether our business will open up again. This week I learned of one of my friends from my last church who's experiencing the loss of a loved one. And I know many in our congregation, there's been a few who have lost parents in this time. Um, my friend lost his grandfather to COVID-19, and his grandmother, his grandfather's wife, now has it. And he, like many in our country right now, are feeling this hardship as this sickness seems to take from us people that we love prematurely. And even those who have lost loved ones not to COVID-19, there's a sense of loss when we can't receive the comfort and encouragement from the services and the gatherings. These are just some of the hardships that we're experiencing right now. And they aren't because of our faith, but they certainly do test our faith. I'm going to be honest with you for a moment that when I experience hardships in life, the thing that I'm often guilty of is not remembering who I am. I usually forget who I am and where I belong. It's easy for me to forget how God has set His grace upon me how he's pulled out all the stops, how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have worked to choose me and set me apart so that I might display his glory in my life, so I might be a visible testimony to the goodness of God. It's easy for me to question that truth when hardship hits, to wonder, does God really love me? Why is this happening? And to forget who I am. And so for me, I need to read Peter's words. I need to remember the man that writes them. I need to consider what he's saying about me, that God chose me and he set his favor upon me, that he set me apart through the work of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus and has done everything in Christ so that I could be one of his chosen people. And so in this season of hardship, if you've placed your faith in Christ, remember who you are. Remember that you have been chosen. You're elect. Spend time meditating on that this week, on 
how much God has, has uh, set his favor on you. But not only do I forget who I am, that I'm elect, but I also am forgetting that I'm an exile. I'm guilty of that. I forget that this is not my forever home. Now, this is going to sound terrible to say, but I'm often guilty of being too content that this is my home. There's a famous line in a C.S. Lewis book where he's talking about um, how God promises all the satisfaction and joy we could ever want in himself, but we try to seek it in other things. We try to seek it in our own vices and pleasures. And he uses this illustration of a child who's content playing with mud pies when he's offered a trip to the sea. And I think in a sense, when we're in exile for so long, we can become comfortable with this place. And it begins to feel like home. And I think for me, I can be far too content. Just wanting, when the hardships come, for the hardship to be gone. Not that I expect all hardships to just all of a sudden disappear, but as long as they're not too bad or too many, I can live with that. And maybe, like me, sometimes, many of us may not be hoping for enough. We may just want life to return to normal. But we need to remember that this is normal life. Life is filled with these kinds of hardships. And when they don't touch us so acutely, it's easy for us to get used to this place. But this season, for us, I think is a great equalizer to reveal to us that there is still brokenness and pain that touches daily life. And though we may have been insulated from this reality, we can now see it and feel it. And these hardships remind us that this place is not our home, that there is something better that we've been chosen to experience. Peter's words are timely for us. We need his encouragement. We need to be reminded of who we are. We are elect exiles. We need to see the tremendous grace that has been given to us so that we can experience the tremendous peace within us, even in this turbulent time. The words of Peter, however, only apply to those who have placed faith in Christ. So if you're watching and you've been uh, with us this time, and that does not describe you, these words really probably don't bring you much comfort. They do not yet apply. But I would argue that they could. For you, these words are not a reminder, but they're an invitation. An invitation to understand what Christ has accomplished for us. They're an invitation to understand uh, that even though there are many hardships in this world, those hardships point us to long for something better. And Peter's words are an invitation to learn of what Christ has done for you, what the Father might have known outside of time and what the Spirit can make present now in your life. We'd love to be a part of helping you with that learning by answering questions or even listening to your perspective on these things. So please don't hesitate to reach out and be in touch with us if you want to shoot us an email or a message. We'd love to know how we can maybe have a conversation, help you to understand these things for yourself. But these people in the midst of their hardship, they needed to remember who they are. They needed that reminder. And one way that we would typically remind ourselves of who we are in Christ weekly as we gather in worship would be to partake in communion. Every week we had the privilege in our gathered worship of receiving the Lord's Supper together and remembering who we are 
that we've been chosen, that God's favor has been set upon us, that we've been set apart by the Holy Spirit, and we've been included in this good news because of Jesus' life and death, which the bread and the cup symbolize. This new covenant that we are now one of God's people because we have been sprinkled with the blood. That's why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, this meal, many, many years ago. So his people could gather in his name and remember how God pulled out all the stops to make them his people. But we can't do that right now. We can't gather in that way. And as we can't gather together, we miss this opportunity for communion, to be reminded. Now it's important to remember that the meal does not affect the promise. That we don't lose the promise or have reason to doubt it because we're not taking communion on a regular basis. The communion meal is there and given to us to remind us of the promise. It's to be visible words of encouragement to remind us of who we are. I was uh, watching Facebook this week, or last week, on Monday, Thursday, and a colleague of ours uh, in the PCA at a church in downtown D.C. named Duke Kwan, a good pastor and uh, brother in Christ, posted something on Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday, many churches celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. And if you watch the reflection, you may have already gotten a sense of where I'm going with this. But he posted a conversation that he had with one of his children. And the conversation went like this. Daddy, it's Maundy Thursday. Are we going to celebrate communion today? No, honey. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. And just like we wait for each other for dinner, and you don't eat by yourself even if you're hungry, we're going to wait here until we're together again as a church family. And then he said, it's kind of sad that we have to wait, isn't it? But you know how food tastes even better when you're really hungry? Well, when we're finally back together as a church family and we get to eat the Lord's Supper, it's going to be so good, isn't it? The idea that he captures there in that conversation with his daughter just struck me so vividly. I think there's a, a powerful sense in which we are so missing our fellowship and our gathering and this opportunity to have communion and this family meal to be reminded of who we are. Not who we are as just individuals, but who we are together. And though we miss it, it's making us really hungry. It's making us look and long for communion uh, again with one another. And it should also make us long for a time when our fellowship cannot be broken up by a sickness. Where our inability to meet right now, I think, reminds us that we are still exiles. That this is the normal in this period of time. And God has chosen us to receive a better meal and to enter a better time and we should be looking forward to that time when we are brought into our true home and where our fellowship with God and with one another can never be broken in any way by sickness or death or pain or sin. And so while we remind ourselves of the promises signified and sealed in communion, may our abstention from this meal in this time remind us that we are also exiles. Yes, we are elect, but we are exiles longing to be where we should be. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the words that you spoke through Peter. 
an ambassador to believers facing many hardships who used a simple greeting to remind them who they are, that they were chosen and that they are not yet home. Father, we pray that we would revel and reflect in this good news, what this means for us. As Peter wrote these words, and you have preserved them as a message for us, in this hardship, let us be reminded that we've been set apart, that we have your favor, that we are your people. Let us cherish that thought and help us also to remember that we are longing for something more, that we are exiles, we are waiting a blessed day when we will have full communion with you and with one another. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's pray together. I cry aloud to, the, to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. This morning we bring our cares to you, our anxieties, our worries. We bring our heart to you this morning because you cared for us. Your word teaches us, O oh God, that we can bring everything on our minds and lay them at your feet. You wait to hear us. You wait and you listen. Today, O oh God, we come and we pray for our nation, the world, our state, our city, our neighborhood, our community. We pray for our church. We pray, Lord, today for those wrestling with depression those wrestling with hopelessness, those who think they have no purpose. We lift before you, God, those who are paralyzed with fear. And we ask you, God, to give courage. We ask you, O oh Lord, to strengthen their faith. Father, we, we pray for those who are hospitalized, whether they be in our church or other churches, those hospitalized for the COVID-19 crisis, Lord, or for other ailments, the cancer, for heart disease, kidney issues. God, we ask you to give healing. We ask you, Lord, to meet their every need. We pray for those, God, in our congregation who this very week will receive medical procedures. We ask you, God, to be with them, to give wisdom to their medical professionals, those seeking to diagnose and to figure out what's going on. 
We pray your mighty hand to guide them. We lift before you those grieving in our congregation and, Lord, those all uh, listening here this morning to our worship service, those who have indeed lost loved ones, those who are sad and bereaved. God, would you give comfort? Lord, would you supply them with the peace that surpasses all understanding? Holy Spirit, would you wrap them close? Father, we lift up to you our sisters and our brothers serving King Jesus in countries all over the world today. We pray, O oh God, that you would sustain their hearts in Christ, that you empower their witness of Jesus and the kingdom of God. We pray, O oh God, that you would give them uh, wisdom and uh, how to still con conduct the ministries for which you sent them there, Lord. May this not be a discouraging time, but a time to lean in ever closer. God who can make all things possible. We lift up the churches of Jesus Christ in a time, God, where we are scattered. Draw the hearts of your people to meditate on your promises for your word gives life. Draw the nations to Jesus, Father. Draw the nations to Jesus through the churches. As the churches are scattered, grant us opportunities for teaching the good news, for serving and loving, loving our neighbors. We ask you, God, to supply wisdom to our leaders, this country and the world. We pray, O oh God, that you would glorify, that you would make your name known in the midst of these days. Scriptures say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that it contains. We make this prayer to you, O God, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, let's sing together. Glorious day.
to that day. As you uh, prepare to go about the Lord's Day, we uh, know that there are some Sunday school offerings that are being offered. We encourage you to take uh, part in those. Uh, there's a, a women's Sunday school, several opportunities for children to meet. I think tonight the youth group is getting together. Um, we encourage you to have connection and encourage one another, speak truth to one another, lift one another up in prayer. And as we go through our, throughout our week, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen. Amen.